You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded hoes. Okay, guys, I know that quarantine has some downfalls, but it kind of has some positives too. And one of those is that my skin routine is killing it right now. And a huge help with that has been Truly Lifestyle Brand. Truly Lifestyle Brand is an all-natural, cruelty-free skincare company that allows your skin to become its absolute best self. Their before and after photos are insane and totally speak for themselves, so you really have to go check those out. They also just launched a new vitamin C serum that is basically like bottle of youth. Use my code TRULYPLUSATIP for 10% off your first online order. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me. It's Danny, and this episode we're switching it up a little bit. I'm going to have Riley joining me for the interview. I'm back, bitches. (laughs) A universal groan happens. Uh, (laughs) So today we are joined by Mrs. Black, aka Sasha Lee. She's been an award-winning showgirl for 15 years and has toured all over the world doing live performances and some mainstream film acting and modeling. She is currently doing her best to balance her successful career with being a newlywed and a first-time mom. Welcome, Sasha. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for being here. So to give the listeners an idea of just how well-established you are in the industry, what avenues have you worked in and which are you currently working in now? Ooh, I started out when I was still in high school, my last year. So uh, I was lingerie waitressing at that time on uh, super yachts and in restaurants and stuff. It was all very glamorous. And then it got (laughs) even more glamorous. I moved into um, doing pole and exotic showgirling and sort of touring all over the world. Um, Aside from that, yeah, I've modeled in a few magazines and stuff. And um, when I came to Canada, it was really easy to transfer all of those skills over to um, film because the film industry is really huge here in Vancouver. Um, but I always get typecast. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always playing the stripper, the escort, the street walker, uh, the sex <laughs> dog, or rock and bartender number two. <laughs> Specifically number two. <laughs> never, never number one, always number two. <laughs> Which avenue have you, like, did, have you liked the most? Mm, I love live live action stage that's my favorite I love being able to interact with the crowd um that's always been my favorite I love the spontaneity of um never knowing quite what's going to happen and people can throw standards in the works so you might have this routine like this whole show planned out and like this is what it's going to look like and something always goes wrong like a, a button pops off or a zipper gets stuck or you know some rando decides it would be really funny to come running on the stage while you're in the middle of the show and try and do some polo tricks. And you could just, like, being able to utilize those funny little events to your advantage, it's just as entertaining for me as it is for everybody else, I think. Over the few years, I've, like, seen you, and you have an extreme stage presence. Did you grow up dancing at all or doing anything on stage or, like... No, Mm-mm, no. In fact, I begged my mom to do dance when I was little and uh, she pulled me out of ballet because I asked to do tap. She never enrolled me in tap. 
she enrolled me in gymnastics and then she enrolled my little sister in dance and I was so devoted about it but you're not bitter at all anymore (laughs) (laughs) you're totally over it now (laughs) just livid gymnastics point then actually to be um more useful to me in the long run mm-hmm. <laughs> than dance probably was because uh, exotic dance is m- much more, I think, about um, acrobatics than it is about, you know, like click, click, Beyonce. It's, you know, tap, tap, tippity, tap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. No, next time you perform, I want you to chuck in some tap, tap moves. <laughs> I don't know. Pass- Heel ball change. You know, <laughs> kick ball change I can do a ball change in a 7 inch heel I don't know if I could do a clippity clap <laughs> <laughs> to be determined no you know I reckon you could <laughs> I got my own practical clack <laughs> so Sasha you've been really transparent about being in a relationship and having a child while some dancers tend to be a little more closeted about that why did you decide to be open with it all Hmm. Well, I, at first I didn't, at first I was really terrified of what people might think. Um, obviously it's not, it doesn't compute for people to have, you know, this exotic visual fantasy. Oh, but actually she's a real person. She has a real life. She's someone's wife. She's someone's mother. She's someone's daughter. You know what I mean? And, And a lot of people can't, um, connect those two things, I suppose. So at first I did hide it. I hid it from everybody. I think the only people I told was, um, Rampage and her man and, um, our friends, Maddie and Lara, Maddie and Lara, um, Morgan, my husband used to live with them and he was sort of their doula, (laughs) I guess, for the birth of their two children. So they're very close to us. And, um, so we didn't tell any friends. We didn't tell any family. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. It's one of those things that's like, well, is it worth telling people? And then, you know, something goes wrong along the way. Look, I think that uh, when I first started dancing, um, I lied about it. And then when it became known to certain people and it spread like wildfire, as rumors do, as gossip does, it left me feeling like really red faced, embarrassed and ashamed about, you know, the fact that I'd sort of misrepresented myself, I guess. And I decided at that point that I was just going to not let it become a salacious scandal. I wanted it to be, you know, I'm honest, like this is, this is what is going on with me. And I think people respect honesty And so aside from that, I think I really, I just wanted to share my happiness with um, people that I know eventually after it all came out. Um, Yeah, I I mean, like a lot of the people that I know and who follow me are people that I know through work, their friends, their co-workers. And I wanted to sort of share that joy with them. Um, The other reason why I chose to be transparent about it was, that I ended up working the door at Brandy's because I still needed some kind of income. And when you're the first person that people see when the elevator door opens, it's pretty difficult to hide the fact that you're nine months pregnant. 
You know what I mean? That <laughs> <laughs> so was what. This is just basketball. (laughs) This is part of my show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I assume like not everyone has been very open to a female entertainer being married and being a mother. And like you kind of said there, like I think it goes against what society says like wives and mothers are supposed to be. Like that that whore and Madonna complex of you can't be both. You know, if you're a mother, you're this like angelical thing and now your sexuality is like, it's gone. Like there's, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that uh, – one thing I've learned along the way is that fertility is exceptionally sexy. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that <laughs> until it happened to me. And I mean, we wear the high heels, so we get that jiggly walk, you know, we get breast implants. So our boobs look bigger and more swollen and more milky. And you know what I mean? All of these things, even like the Bambi lashes, you know, blink blink like you know it's all designed to be like I'm the most fertile I have the smallest waist and the biggest hips and you know yeah that's what it's all about in the end so actually it's sexier than you would think yeah no and it it makes sense from like a biological like evolutionary standpoint as well um how did you find like what was your the reactions that you got when you told people were they more to the positive side I mean I would hope they would be but 100% yep I didn't have any negative reactions at all. Um, we announced my pregnancy right after my wedding ceremony. But the photographer during a group photo to announce to Aww. all of our friends. <laughs> so it just was really cool to see like some people didn't quite get it. They're like, is this a joke? I don't understand. Is this real life? And, and then it was like the kind of wave, like watching people's reactions, finally reality kick in. And we go, oh my God, this is so crazy. This is amazing. So um, it was very, very positive reactions, not just from my friends and family, but even from um, club patrons, coworkers, um, fans, everyone was really happy for me. Oh, that's really awesome. Nice. Wasn't expecting it to be that way, but that's awesome. Because awesome, you found out really close to your wedding, didn't you? Two and a half months beforehand. <laughs> how how was that? <laughs> um, terrifying. To be honest, it was terrifying um, for two reasons: um, the financial aspect and the physical aspect. So. Financially, you know, I'm already invested. I've put down deposits on everything. I've got this dream wedding, it's destination, it's in Thailand. I've got my dream planners. I've figured everything out. The dress is ordered. The food is ordered. The hotels are booked. Everyone's booked flights already. And we're going. Like, it's happening. And now all of a sudden, I'm facing the prospect of being out of work for a undetermined amount of time I don't know you know how quickly I'm going to start showing I don't know how quickly I'm going to be able to come back so I could be potentially off for a year and I mean I had some savings and stuff but it's not savings that I'd wanted to take out and use Mm -hmm. I mean I wanted that to be my retirement fund so that was really scary 
financially it was really scary and and also the fact that um I had this sort of cushy share house scenario where I was only paying like 600 bucks a month in rent and you know we're sharing Netflix bills we're sharing hydro bills and now all of a sudden I have to find a much bigger house that can also accommodate a nursery and before those bills may sell. So what I'm thinking now is my expenses are going to triple and my income is going to go down to potentially nothing or whatever else I can get, which ended up being Monday and Tuesday on the door at Brandy's. It didn't pay my rent and everything, but it, kept food on the table and I was exceptionally, exceptionally grateful for that job. Um, the other anxieties and stuff I had were physical. I mean, as a dancer, your livelihood is your physical appearance, right? So <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm, I'm researching, I'm a massive researcher. I'm looking at Instagram. I'm seeing all these, you know, amazing bravely presented images of women who've had you know, really difficult births, you know, their cesarean scars and, you know, saggy boobs and loose skin and stretch marks and they're 50 pounds heavier and they don't care. And I'm like, if that happens to me, that's it. I'm out. Like who's going to pay my bills? Like I'm the breadwinner. What, what am I going to do with this? And then, of course, there's the things that everyone would worry about. Like, you know, am I going to piss my pants when I laugh? Is my <laughs> asshole going to turn inside out? <laughs> a gaping vagina after this. Yeah. <laughs> like everything that every woman would probably be curious about, for sure. Motherhood just sounds so beautiful. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> inside out assholes for everyone. um Sasha when did you how long were you able to keep performing um when you were pregnant did and was that choice like you just wanted to stop performing or was there a point where you just couldn't perform anymore I worked for as long as I could (laughs) I did um initially if I had ever thought about being a pregnant dancer I would have thought that Immediately when I became pregnant, that would be it. My body was for myself only and nobody else was going to see. I was going to like hermit up and just enclose myself and not interact. And it hasn't ended up being that way at all. I ended up just pushing it as far as I could go. And every week that went by that I thought I could still push it a little bit further, I did. So I ended up working until the beginning of my sixth month. Oh, wow. Were you showing quite a bit then, or could you hide it pretty well still? I was hiding it pretty well. I was, um, well, the, the thing was, um, I, I lost a lot of weight in the beginning because I stopped drinking. Um, <laughs> I love a glass of wine, and uh, back then I used to drink a lot. But then, obviously, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, it was like, nada. And also I started feeling like not that sick, but just sort of queasy enough that I wasn't really interested in food. So um, I'm just trying to eat fruit salad and yogurt every day, vegetables every day, just trying to make sure that I was getting enough nutrients. Um, But 
yeah, I ended up losing about 12 pounds in the beginning. And then I gradually and slowly started to put the weight back on again, uh, mostly at the 11 week point when I suddenly decided that uh, Cool Ranch Doritos and Big Turks were it. That was it. That was all I was going to eat. <laughs> Give me it. Two, I was on like a two pack a day, like one of the big packets of Doritos a day. Oh my God. Like just, I mean, <laughs> did you find you had any other weird cravings? Uh, mango and yogurt were the big ones for me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Doritos and Big Turks were the big, I have got to have them. God's gift. <laughs> do you yeah. still, do you still want to eat them now or did you like overeat them and now you never want to see them again? No, no, I, I have no interest. <laughs> You've overdone it. I mean, I'd want to eat that as much as I would want to eat anything. And the other thing was Coca-Cola. Like I never drink soda, but I, for some reason, wanted to drink Coca-Cola all the time. Interesting. <laughs> Healthy. What does your day-to-day life look like now versus a year and five months ago? Besides less... Doritos and Coca-Cola. So different. So different. I can't even begin to tell you how different it is. Uh, I used to go to work, come home, sleep till 11 in the morning, get up, have a champagne brunch, go get my nails done, go for a rip on the motorbike, come home, take two hours to do my hair and makeup, and, you know, have a pregame cocktail before work, go in, do my thing, and leave. Uh, Now, that is not possible. It's just not possible. There's so much to do that uh, unless you want your house to descend into chaos very quickly, um, you have to, you know, be doing multiple things at a time always constantly moving, usually one-handed. You need to be tidying, cleaning up messes, feeding, folding, changing, cooking, supervising, entertaining. You know, I use cloth diapers because I think it's important for the environment. So I'm doing a gigantic load of laundry every single day and sitting there like folding, 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 like pre-folding all of these like little teeny diapers all these baby clothes that he's destroying like multiple times throughout the day, like by getting solid food all over them. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I, yeah. I can't even imagine girl. <laughs> I was a, I was a nanny for a year in Germany and I'm having like trauma flashbacks. PTSD. <laughs> Do you know, it, it's a three-person job. Having a newborn is literally a three-person job. I do not understand how anyone could do that by themselves. It, it's just, it's impossible. I never, like, my pristine nest that I had created before I went to the hospital was, like, Afghanistan <laughs> within minutes of me getting home from the hospital. It was just, everything was... It was destroyed. It was like a bomb hit. <laughs> how do you how do you balance both work and motherhood? What's been like the hardest thing as a working mom, besides like motherhood in general being tough? Um, there's two hardest things. 
sleep deprivation and feeding. Um, the sleep depth thing, you know, if I work at Brandy's, I come home at three 30 in the morning, take a shower. I pump milk until like four, four 30. And then he wants to get up at like seven 30 in the morning. So I'm operating on like three hours of broken sleep. It's insane. <laughs> so I'm actually really enjoying this time now because it's allowing me to create a sort of sleep routine. We can't leave the house. So it's kind of nice. I get to nap when he naps. Mm-hmm. So if he, wants to go to sleep at like three o'clock in the afternoon, I can lie on the couch and sleep with him until five. It's great. (laughs) Um, The other thing was feeding. I I never ever in my wildest dreams imagined that feeding a baby would be so incredibly difficult. Um, Anyone who knows me knows that I've been through a lot of trauma with my left breast implant. Um, I had to have probably six operations and, uh, with that, a lot of cutting of milk dots and, you know, fucking shit up, (laughs) you know know what I mean? Uh, there was a lot of, um, trauma around that for me. So I was pretty sure that I might not even be able to produce any milk on that side. So I was really delighted when it turned out I could make a little bit. It was nowhere near enough, but it's a little bit. And that was enough for me at the time. Um, Feeding is crazy, dude. Crazy. Like, you have to pump milk in order to get your supply going, right? So they want to eat as a newborn every two or three hours. And I'm like, oh, cool. Two or three hours between feeds that's enough time to get a few hours sleep. And then after the next one, a few hours sleep after that. No problem. No. What they don't tell you is that, okay. Say for example, they want to feed at, at three o'clock in the morning. So you breastfeed on both sides, half an hour each side. And then after that, you have to put your pump on <laughs> and for half an hour, be like, pumping all this milk, um, of which there's not a lot and it's really depressing, but whatever will come out comes out. And then you have to deconstruct the pump, wash all of the bits and pieces in hot soapy water, sanitize in boiling water, like separately, all of those pieces, dry them and reconstruct them again. And now it's like five o'clock in the morning and they want to eat at six, six thirty. One more time from the top. <laughs> so just when you lie down and start drifting off to sleep, all of a sudden you got to get up again. It's like never ending and it's like Guantanamo Bay. Okay. <laughs> it's wild. That and then you've got to keep feeding them, right? So eventually you can slow down a little bit with the pumping and everything. But then when you're at work, you start leaking every two or three hours. If you don't pump, that's it, man. Like that white bikini is now see-through, okay? (laughs) So that means that I now have to take like 
effectively an hour out of my work night. And we all know that a work night is what? Five hours. If I got to do that twice, that's taking two hours out of my five hour work night. Sometimes I'm sitting on the floor working coat check at Brandy's trying to explain to the bouncers how to use the freaking <laughs> debit machine while I'm sitting on the floor pumping milk with like a shawl around me and like a bucket of ice beside me so I can like keep the milk I managed to <laughs> make cold. I'm just like, this is my life. <laughs> the glamorous so, honestly, life of a showgirl. <laughs> <laughs> the glamorous so life glamorous. of a showgirl. <laughs> this, this, and the girls, of course, all make fun of me. I'll sit there in the change room like, everyone's just kind of quietly reading or gossiping and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious Uh, you gotta see the humor in it though you know um now at six months it's getting a lot better he he eats solid foods now so I don't have to pump as much and also with this whole COVID thing going on because I'm home all the time now I can just breastfeed him I don't have to pump I thought initially that I would be really happy if I could make it to six months. And now that I've made it to six months, I'm like, I could go a year. I could keep going. (laughs) I think now if I make it to a year, I'll be, you know, golden. That's an amazing effort. So you just mentioned that, you know, sometimes you leak. Um, Has that happened to you while you've been like entertaining or performing and how have you handled that or you know has anyone even noticed or um has it been very welcomed like no I'd be mortified if anybody if anybody ever saw me leaking I'd be mortified it's happened to me a bunch of times when I've been working the door doing coat check and people will walk in and I'll be like sort of serving them checking their IDs taking their money and everything and then they'll walk away and the bouncers are like, Oh, you got a little, you got a little, and I'll look down. There's these two gigantic dark patches on my nice outfit. I'm like, great. Well, I can't go get changed. Can I'm working coat check? So no, I'd be super mortified if anybody noticed. I don't, I don't know why <laughs> people are like, Oh, people might like it. No, it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you didn't like that kind of thing, imagine how horrifying it would be. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I, I try not to leak as much as possible if I can feel it happening. Sometimes um, if I hit the ground too hard, if I'm doing some kind of body roll onto the stage and I hit too hard, I can feel, I can feel it get wet. Like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Please let me get to the end of the show before I can, you know, run away and get everything fixed up. <laughs> uh, what has been, like, the easiest or and, like, most unexpected things about motherhood for you so far? I did not expect that it was possible to be this in love with another person. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I didn't expect it to be so hard, but also so rewarding. It really brings a lot of purpose and joy into your life. I just didn't, I don't think I understood the magnitude of of how um, amazing that would be. And uh, how much 
I love when uh, he smiles at me. <laughs> that sounds like such a simple thing, but now that he's a little bit older and he's gotten beyond the point of thinking of me as that milk person who like brings my food sometimes and he thinks me as like mom, you know, like that's my mama and he smiles at me and he interacts and he can read my body language. And I think that's, that's the best thing for sure. Aww. That's so nice. <laughs> I've never Imagine loved anything like loved. that. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Riley are like, love sounds beautiful. <laughs> um, how did you like know what to do as a new mom? Like I was talking, my lash girl's a new mom and I was talking to her and I was like, dude, how do you just like know what to do? Like they don't give you a pamphlet when you leave the hospital and be like, here's all the answers. Like it sounds terrifying. Exactly. They do give you a pamphlet that essentially says if you feel like throwing yourself or your baby off a 12-story balcony, don't do that. Just call this number. <laughs> um, Pretty uh, hard and fast rule well, that one. <laughs> they do give you some pamphlets and they're like, okay, well, this is kind of basically how you take care of a baby. Um I was really lucky. I had midwives and midwives. I, I would highly recommend if you're ever planning on having a baby, get a midwife. Don't bother with, I mean like, you know, if you've got a high risk pregnancy or whatever, by all means find yourself an OB. It's probably not going to be the OB who delivers your baby on the day. And I was pretty determined that I, I wanted to have somebody that I knew deliver my baby, like someone that I had met and interacted with and formed some kind of rapport and relationship with. So that, and also they come to your house afterwards. Mm. No OB is going to come to your home. You have to take your baby to a, a public health nurse somewhere out there when you don't want to leave your house. Trust me, you pretty much don't want to leave your house. <laughs> you do get kind of depressed and it, I mean, it goes away for most people, but, you know, it's a roller coaster for sure. So just to kind of take the uh, the difficulty out of that, they actually come by and they'll weigh your baby, make sure that he's doing all right. They'll check your breast milk supply. They'll, you know, make sure that you're not, you know, suicidal or anything. So, like, some people do get that way, I guess. They can see, you know, the space that you're living in. They can give you advice. If, if you can't get your baby to latch They'll help you with that. They talk about things. They talk about your body. They talk about, you know, what you can expect. They give you little tidbits of advice along the way. Like they'll come by your house for an hour and they come by like every few days. It's oh, amazing. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And the rest of it's just trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> Have you felt like motherly instincts kick in? Is that uh, a thing? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So what I haven't learned from other moms and here's the other thing is that like you have so much community, like it's sort of like you join a club. As soon as you have a baby, everyone's like, welcome to the club. And then you have all these people. You can just say like, oh my God, my baby's doing this. Oh, is that natural? Is that cool? Like, should I let him do this? And they'll come at you with all kinds of advice. I've got this awesome, my, my doula, her name was Lara. She lives up the street. She, every time I have a question, I'm like, what do I do? She's like, 
don't worry, it's four months sleep regression, it's normal. I'm like, cool, okay. <laughs> um, it, when it comes to instincts, the thing I've noticed the most, and I, I, I do not know what this is, but um, I wake up like two or three minutes before he does every time. So it's like, everyone's like, oh, you got to get these baby monitors. you got to get the owl sock with the oxygen monitor so they don't die in their sleep. It's like, no, you know. It's the second they're awake, you're awake. Or even before they're awake, you're awake. You know that they want to get fed. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's like, sure enough, I'm like, three, two, one. Ah. Like, okay, okay, okay. All right, I'm coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, any disturbance and you're, you're 100% awake. And that's why it's so difficult to sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so clearly, Riley and I are quite inexperienced with the actual, like, physical process of being pregnant and what, like, the birth and the aftermath look like. Can you share some of your experience with us? Um, like, is pregnancy really scary and is giving birth extremely fucking painful? Yes to both questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all of it. It's hell. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't want to say that at all. It, um, is it scary and is it painful? Yes. Is it hell? No. Um, it, it's scary when you're first getting into it because you don't know what to expect. You don't know how your body's going to handle it. Um, but then once you realize that your body can do some really amazing and incredible things and you're a dancer, like you can flip upside down and hang on by one ankle. You can, you know, do all these crazy tricks in the air. Like you can carry a baby. The female body is amazing. It can do really incredible things. And I think that being an exotic entertainer and knowing that you can push your body to these incredible limits that you can maintain fitness. It doesn't have to be how everyone portrays it. There are positive stories out there. You just have to look for them because everyone always wants to advertise these difficult births that they had in these negative stories. And I mean, that's okay because that's their story, but it's like the positive stories are boring to people. Like they don't get put out there. So you really have to hunt for them, you know? Um, I was determined to have a really positive experience. So my pe my pregnancy was really positive. I can't say anything too bad about it. I didn't get crazy morning sickness. I got all the little things that come along with it, like carpal tunnel, leg cramps, things like that. But I'm strong. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I never had you know, that horrible discomfort and like having to stay at home and not do anything. Like I'm, I was still like taking people's suitcases and putting them over the top of my head and into the cubbies, like climbing up on the chair to put them up there. And people were like, Oh, you better be careful. I was running on the treadmill in the gym and a guy came up to me and was like, you know, <laughs> Oh, I can't. I know where this story is going. I can't. Oh my god! As soon as I'm, it's a part, like a man said to me, I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this guy say now. <laughs> like you, you should take it easy. <laughs> like, um, 
No, you, you don't have to stop giving. You don't have to stop working out. You don't have to stop doing the things that you normally do if you feel up to it. Also, um, sir, please tell me how your pregnancy went. <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> okay. In this man's defense, I was almost 42 weeks at this point. So, I mean, most people would deliver before 40 weeks and I was well overdue. So I, I was looking some kind of pregnant. <laughs> he was just stressed that worry that it was going to fall out of you and he was going to have to clean it. Yeah. I'm like, dude, why do you think I'm running on this treadmill this fast? Okay. I want it to fall out. All right. I'm over this. <laughs> But it, no, it was, it was amazing. And I made sure it was amazing. I kept fit. I did Pilates. I did um, bar classes, like prenatal bar classes every week. And I feel like that put my body in such a state, like my pelvic floor was so strong. I was like, no, you know what? I got this. Um, they wanted to give me an epidural, an early epidural because I'm epileptic. And they thought that the stress of going into labor would make me have a seizure. And I just knew in my heart that that wasn't going to be the case. So they're like, oh, we're going to give you this. We're going to give you that. And I spoke to my midwife. I was like, yo, do I have to do all that? She's like, no, you are legally allowed to refuse any intervention that you see fit. And they can't say anything about it. You don't have to have anything that you don't want. I'm like, okay. Well, that's kind of empowering. I, you know, well, maybe we'll just see how we go on the day. So they wanted to give me a medical induction, which is where they uh, put an IV into you and then they put this medication that goes into your bloodstream and sort of uh, it's, it's like a synthetic hormone that makes you go into labor, gets that oxytocin stuff flowing. It's called pitocin. And it makes you get contractions really, really hard, really, really fast to the point where they're so agonizingly painful that you have to have an epidural, which means you have to deliver on your back, which puts your tailbone at completely the wrong angle to arch back and let a head come through. So then you get things like tearing. So you know what I mean? It's like one intervention leads to the next. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, I just want to go for as long as I can. And then if I need interventions, we'll get them. But I just want to go as natural for as long as possible. So I leave it at home. I took the midwife's brew, which is super controversial because people say that um, it can make the baby shed their meconium, which is like the lining of their bowel, into your uh, womb. And then they can inhale it, aspirate it, and it can cause them to choke. Um, at this point I was willing to take that risk over the risk of having a difficult delivery by having all of the interventions. So, uh, I took like a, like a concoction, if you will, it was like apricot juice, lemon verbena tea, um, castor oil, a bunch of other different bits and pieces. And I pretty much went into labor not long after that. And I labored at home. My midwife came to check on me at one point. She's like, okay, you're at a three. Um, I'll probably see you tomorrow night or later on tonight. Like you might be like this for a few days. I'm like, okay, all right, sweet. 
and then I had a nice bath with like these beautiful electric candles. It was gorgeous. I got half an hour of sleep and then I had to get up. I was like, no, no, it just felt like the period cramps of doom. <laughs> like no period cramp you've ever felt, but it came, it comes in like a wave. Like you'll be fine, normal, like we're talking right now. And then all of a sudden you'll have to be like, wait a sec. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to cry. I'm going to die. Okay. Now I'm good again. And it just keeps going like that. So even on the way to the hospital, I'm doing my hair up in my little scarf. I'm like, mm, I'm looking all right. Oh my God. Can this fucking pedestrian get out of the road so we can get to where we're going faster? Except I wasn't that articulate. <laughs> <laughs> get out of the fucking road. how it came out. Um, so when I got to the hospital, um, I was about a seven, a six or a seven. Um, I guess most people show up to the hospital at a three or a four. So when I walked in, the ladies at the counter were like, oh, I see that your healthcare card has the last name Black, but all of our paperwork is in this other last name. And I'm like, it's Black. <laughs> tears pouring down my face and they're like oh I see that your partner has health insurance coverage perhaps you'd be interested in the bright start package it includes a 24-hour car parking space a guaranteed private room I'm like mate I don't give a shit I'm gonna have this baby like right in front of you like right now like get me into the room please like I mean how are you not understanding this I was so frustrated but once they got me in they're like okay we're going to give you an IV in the hand and then we're going to, I'm like, no, I don't want that. My midwife was like, that's not part of the plan. The lady's like, well, we have to at least give her a saline lock just in case we need to do all this other. Um, she's like, no, no, she's just getting in the bath. And so I got in this big, gorgeous, beautiful BC women's has this incredible suite where they have this beautiful, deep, like spa, bath and I had my electric candles that I bought along from home and aromatherapy and all this stuff and I asked for like no lighting so it was like dark it was it was amazing and then it was just me and nobody else I mean Morgan was there holding my hand coaching me through my midwife was there Morgan's mom was there my mom was there for like the first part of my labor but she thought that I'd be there for like two or three days. Fair enough. And she went off on like this tour to Banff that she'd booked. Like in fairness to her, she'd come out like 10 days earlier, like before my due date to help me with baby. Like she'd come out from Australia and she just had to sit in my house twiddling her thumbs and like knitting <laughs> the entire time. So I felt so bad. Um, but yeah, so I had like great people around me. Like nobody else made it in time. Nobody was expecting it to be that fast how long was your labor from when I went into labor at one o'clock in the morning and I delivered at 12.55 in the afternoon or 12.41 in the afternoon but like the active part of my labor like from when I went to the hospital that was at like 10 30 11 in the morning so I only pushed for four minutes four or five minutes oh wow wow that's crazy fast 
yeah, it was crazy fast. Like most people are hours in that stage. I was really grateful that it was really fast (laughs) because I'm going to be honest without any kind of interventional pain medication whatsoever. It felt like, you know, that medieval torture where they tie like a horse to each limb and then all the horses run off in different directions, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like being drawn and quartered. That's yeah. exactly what it felt like. Oh, good. People were like, oh, the pain, the pain. Like it's not so much the pain. It, it was just the intensity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it was painful, but what was – it was like you never felt anything that intense like the energy of it was so intense, but also really empowering. Like I felt victorious after that was done. You know what? Like Morgan caught my baby. They put it on my chest. He had an APGA score of nine. He was doing great. His color was good. His heart rate was good. He was breathing beautifully and he was just perfect. And so I just got out of the tub, walked away and that was it. I had a great experience. So it can be great. Like it doesn't have to be this, you know, horror story. It can be, it can be really wonderful. And for me it was. That's awesome. And thank you so much for sharing like your birth story with us as well. Oh yeah. No worries. Um, When did you decide to go back to work after? Eight weeks. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah. I would have gone back at six weeks. Um, because of the amazing experience I have had no abdominal separation. I had no cuts or stitches or wow. raises or anything like that. I was completely fine. She just walked straight out of that tub and straight out. I was going to say straight to the, straight to the pole. <laughs> She's like, I got shit. I would have. They make you wait for six weeks to make sure that everything's fine. And also like you bleed for six weeks. So you can't really do anything like I mean you can't wear tampons or anything for that amount of time as well so you kind of just have to wait it out <laughs> and then I, I would have gone back at six weeks but also you, you need to actually book your bookings in advance you know you can't just like walk in and say hey put me on the stage it's like well what have you got that I can do so I went back to work the first week of December I think oh it's nice that you're able to work for December mm-hmm. yeah I think I only did one week or maybe two. That's all I could get. Like it was very heavily booked up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I got a few weeks in January and February. Um, I took most of March off to go back to Australia. And then COVID happened. So Mm -hmm. yummy. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Uh, Did becoming a mother and wife, like, change anything about your career so far? Like I hear often, like, having a child, you feel differently about your body. Um, did you experience anything like that? Um, you know what? I, I'm, I'm pretty much unscathed. Uh, I have a few extra stretch marks on my boobs. They're a little bit bigger, but who cares about that? Um, I'm a little bit heavier, not by too much, like maybe five or 10 pounds, um, which doesn't really bother me that much, especially, you know, when I, when I first started out in Australia, the aesthetic was skinny, skinny, mini with big fake boobs and long blonde hair extensions. And that's what everyone had to look like in order to be considered like, you know, the hottest, most worthwhile performer, like the one that would get booked looked like that every time. 
And I just got really sick of trying so hard to aspire to that. I'm not like a very skinny girl and I never have been and I never will be. So it wasn't until I came out to Canada and started working in Toronto where they have like a lot more ethnic diversity, a lot more girls working in one space and a lot, um, a lot more difference in terms of body shape and body type and look like, wow. Okay. So you can be thick and make money. You can be like teeny or you can be like quite big like, you know, in inverted commas because they're not really that big, are they? But no matter what you look like, you can do well if you have the right attitude. So I've been everything. I've been thick. I've been thin. I've been pale. I've been really tanned. I've been platinum blonde, jet black, purple, red, pink, blue, (laughs) every kind of hair, color and length, short, long, you know, pin up beach bunny. As long as you are personable, you can do well, you know? So I wasn't like that worried about gaining a little bit of weight and I could probably lose it again if I was actually to work at it. Um, but I just can't be bothered. (laughs) I'm still, I'm still making money. I'm still getting booked. I'm still doing fine. So Every time I walk through the club, people are awesome. They'll stop and say, you know, you look amazing. You look great. I can't believe you're back. You're doing so well. This is fantastic. Good for you. Congratulations. And people are really supportive about it. So, yeah, no, aside from that, this, uh, I mean, I didn't, nothing else happened. I didn't come out with any other kind of permanent marks or anything like that. The other thing I will say, though, is um, it's been really strange for me not to be able to get fillers and Botox and things like that. It was something I didn't even consider, but yeah, since I found out I was pregnant, no bleaching, no, yeah, like no um, collagen or um, Juvederm or anything like that, or even like laser treatments, nothing like that. So I am 100% all natural because I haven't had anything done in a year and a half. Well, you look great. So, yeah, you look <laughs> thank you. I kind of can't wait to get like a, a few little touch-ups here and there, but it's also yeah. difficult with um, my expenses being so much higher now. It's difficult to justify spending money on things like that, which I guess is another another way that life is different now than it once was. Definitely, <laughs> got to think about other people. Ugh. <laughs> well, you got to put other people's needs before your own, and I mean. Not about it. <laughs> I'm not here for it. Um, so both me and Riley have witnessed you and your husband Morgan um, together, and you guys are honestly fucking adorable. Um, and I know a lot of people we know, ourselves included, um, have sometimes found it hard to juggle a romantic relationship while working as an entertainer. Uh, do you have any tips for how you can maintain a healthy relationship while being an entertainer? Counseling. (laughs) Counseling probably is the thing that helped us the most. Uh, You don't have to think of it as like we're going because something is wrong with us. Um, You go, uh, you treat it sort of like you were going to the gym to, 
you know, strengthen your body. You go to a counselor to strengthen your mind and your relationship and to be able to see things from other perspectives. I think patience and understanding is really important. It is not easy for somebody to date somebody in our industry and you have to be understanding about that. So that is, to be honest, the source of a lot of arguments and things we've had in the past Um, because it's difficult and I understand that it's difficult. Of course it's difficult and that it's difficult for me to see it being difficult for them. Mm -hmm. So it definitely makes it harder. Um, Just dedication to the relationship, just 100% going all in. Because if you're one foot in and one foot out, I don't think it's ever going to work. Mm-hmm. You have to be really invested in it, I think, and be willing to, to do the work. Has there been something that came up um, during one of your sessions that it's just sort of clipped that that's how you could see it from the other point of view? Just for or, you know, all the people in, in our industry who are listening? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the only thing I could say was that I'm not always right. No, don't like that. <laughs> Anything <laughs> else, I, though? Anything else? <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> but sometimes you can be wrong or misinterpret things, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not always accurate. I don't know if I phrased that very well. Um, there's no specific specific example that I can give you I'm like oh all of a sudden everything makes sense to me now it's like no I kind of understand where you're coming from I I mean there are a lot of things that both of us had to work on softening changing and being more patient with each other about what would your advice be like for the women in our industry who have a partner who is struggling with our job like I know for myself, like a lot of times I'll be like, no, it's like, it's just work to me. And you know, it's hard, it's hard to, um, if you're not in our industry, it's hard for people to kind of be able to make that differentiation between work and reality. Like we can, like if we're, if we're flirty and we're having this, you know, at work persona that it's like acting to us, I find it's acting to us. Exactly. It's exactly like being an actress. Like you have your, stage character so you do the hair and you do the makeup and you put on the outfit and you put on the shoes and you go in and it's not like you're not yourself but you are a much more amplified version of a certain part of yourself Mm -hmm. and that's all that audience is getting you know they're not getting the other part of you they're not they're not getting the mother they're not getting the daughter they're not getting all of the other things. So they're not getting the wife. They're not getting like the deep down nitty gritty what's an old person that you are. They're getting like a beautiful fantasy image. Um, but I got to say, it's probably very difficult to see your man or your woman, you know, watch you get dressed up, get all glammed up, it'd be like him putting on, as Morgan says, putting on a three-piece suit and a bunch of aftershave and doing his hair nice, giving you a kiss and saying, Kate, well, I'm going out to hang out with some ladies now who all want a piece of me. It's like, yeah, when you put like that, it's got to be really fucking hard. 
Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I don't have any advice really for how you would navigate that. I mean, aside from, you know, reassurance, like this is honestly just a job. It's, it doesn't define me as a person. It makes up a bit of my personality for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not all of who I am as a person. And I think you really need to be able to find somebody who's willing to understand that, but but it's hard. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's not hard. No, I I completely agree. Um, even like for myself, I've had relationships that with men that are understanding to a degree, but it's never a hundred percent. And it kind of, for at least for myself, it's, it's ebbs and flows where some days they're really comfortable with it. And then some days something kind of triggers them and they're like, okay, you know what? Like I'm annoyed or this, this is bothering me and you can just see it on their face. And I echo what you say where it's, it's not like it's just all rainbows for me either. Like seeing my job impact them impacts me as well. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So and it impacts you a lot, well, a lot more than you can convey to them. Mm-hmm. Completely. No, I, t- I totally agree. Um, kind of going off that as well, like this work can sometimes, I know I speak from myself and I think Riley can feel the same way sometimes that, um, this work can make me feel very like emotionally and sexually exhausted sometimes, um, from being flirty and being this persona and this amplified version of you. Um, how do you stop that from impacting your relationship? Cause I know for me, sometimes if I've worked a lot, especially at the end of December, like the last thing I want to do is come home and be flirty and like, or deal with a man saying something stupid. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> just want that time to decompress and, um, come back into yourself, take a shower, wash it all off and be like, huh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have something to eat. I'm going to relax. I'm going to have like a normal conversation with somebody who doesn't have ulterior motives. Cause I think when you're at work, you do tend to be, very guarded about what people's motives are. Mm-hmm. I think you can pretty much figure it out. It's, it's also, you do a lot of what I call defensive dancing, like deflecting of, you know, um, unsavory invitations, deflecting of, you know, um, weird energies from people and that, and that, and also just, trying to keep it up, 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 trying to be fun, trying to be happy, trying to like keep the crowd going. That's a lot of energy, man. That's a lot. So it's so nice to be able to come home to a partner and just go, okay, now I can be myself again. Um, I'm pretty good because I've had a lot of practice at being able to flip my characters back to normal me versus amplified me but I think Morgan has told me that back when I used to drink quite a lot it wasn't the same way that um that it would take me much longer to get from my stage character back into my normal in quotation marks normal self mm-hmm. so I mean maybe that's part of it maybe that's a factor as well I mean, things have changed a lot you know not just for me, but I think for the industry in general, people used to drink a lot more. I used to drink a lot more 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> the people when I first started really used to drink a lot more. Well, yeah, that was my next question. Um, you've been in the industry for a decade and a half, you know, 15 years. Um, I've only been in it for seven years and I've seen dramatic changes. Um, how has your experience changed and over and evolved over the last 15 years? My, my God. Um, <laughs> okay. When I first started out, there was a very large proportion of people who got into dancing because it was the only job where you could cut lines in the break room and get wasted beyond belief and not be fired (laughs) and have people give you drugs and alcohol for free and not have to really be answerable to anybody. Um, Now it is very, very different. You might have the occasional girl get occasionally wasted, but they don't last very long anymore. Management gets rid of them quick smart. Um, Women now go into their job, okay, maybe they're wearing a bikini and heels, but they might as well be wearing like a Versace power suit. They have like a mental business suit on. And they go in and they got their head screwed on straight and they've taught themselves about money and they're there to build an empire. And so they're smart. They're utilizing their money to put themselves through school, to create savings plans, to create investment accounts, to buy multiple houses and investment properties. Um, they're just more together now I think than they used to be so things have changed a lot a lot of girls I know they don't even drink in fact probably about 70% of the dancers that I now know are completely sober which is a huge change Mm -hmm. (laughs) from what it used to be trust me like I've seen some train wrecks Mm -hmm. in my time and now people are like savvy what do you, you know what, I mean? what do you equate that change to? I find like for me, what what I thought when I, I was talking to uh, Riley about this before, because I've seen that myself. Like the the girls that are coming to it nowadays, yeah, exactly. They're looking at it as like this is a great opportunity for me to um, like climb financially vertically, you know, as opposed to mm-hmm. this is a great way to get paid to party, which you know, seven years ago, still a lot of people had that mindset. I think yep. it, I personally think it has made something to do with it being more mainstream. So there's more women talking amongst each other and discussing business strategies and discussing things like that. But what do you equate it to this, this change over the last 15 years of, of women coming into the industry with a, a clearer head or a, a more, a more goal, goal oriented attitude? I sort of think you have to be because in order to get anywhere now, you have to be smarter and make so much more money than you used to. I mean, when you look at probably our parents were able to work like average of wood wage jobs and be able to afford to purchase a property and pay it off in, you know, 15, 20 years or whatever the, you know, term was. And, and then they own that house. And now the value of that house is so far out of most people's 
from at least our generation's reach that unless you had like a really solid plan of how you were going to get there, you're just never going to get there. Hear stories about how people win the lotto and then go bankrupt or run out of money, um, and you always think, "Well, how how is that possible?" But once you start making that sort of money, you realize how very possible it is. It's like water through your hands. Mm-hmm. You just you make that kind of money, you end up hemorrhaging that kind of money. <laughs> I don't understand how it happens, but it does, and it's it's all the little things add up. Like I came to the realization that when I was working long shift at number five orange and I would take my lunch break and take my dinner break I was dropping like a grand a week on my like work lunches and dinners (laughs) insane have the money to like buy food why would you cook it yourself like that you can't cook it yourself you're working 13 hours and your break is from like seven to nine what are you going to do? Like, go home and cook in that time. Like, you can't do it. Like, long shift is crazy, man. All right. That's a midday start and a, you know, 1 a.m. finish. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't experienced the, uh, the five long shift. <laughs> <laughs> you better have stamina. I mean, like, my Thursdays there were the worst for that. Like, every Thursday morning that I did a long shift, I'd come in and I would order, like, a gin and Red Bull and a chili cheese fries for breakfast. For breakfast, like at floor time. Glamour <laughs> <laughs> and health. Thursday <laughs> <laughs> is is the is the day of the week when you're doing long shift where you're like, if you look at me, I will fucking cut you. <laughs> <laughs> you better look at the floor while you slide that money over. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh Speaking of like quarantine craziness, how are you like surviving these times? And you also were in the industry, I guess, when like the economic crash of like 2008, 2009, what do you foresee this, this COVID impacting like the, our industry long-term or in the present too? Okay. I'm going to be super honest. 2008, I had sort of just come to Canada and I started working in Toronto and because I didn't know anyone there I'd had a a bad snowboarding accident in in Whistler and uh it cost me a lot of money and I didn't have enough money to get back home to Australia but I had enough to go to Toronto so I thought well if I can get that far I, I don't know anything about the clubs in Vancouver at that time so I knew that they had clubs in Toronto so I flew out there and I'm like okay even if this is the worst club in on planet earth I still have to work here until I can make enough to get home and because I didn't know anyone in the city I didn't know anything I didn't know anyone I was staying in some garbage hole which was like all I could afford with like the last dregs of what was in my account um like at Ryerson University like all the students dorms that were out for the summer or whatever I just had like a little room there and I had no entertainment so I just worked in the club from when the club opened to when the club shut and at that point I'd made more money than I'd ever made in my life in the one week that I was there and so I upgraded and I moved to the Sheraton oh shit live <laughs> large Sheraton for months. <laughs> and ordered like stoly coolers on demand and 
man, I was living like a rock star. It was insane to me. I had this little Chanel bag that I was carrying around that had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in it. And I, well, I can't believe I didn't get rolled to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so 2008 did not have any kind of impact on my income whatsoever. I always had done really well out there. Um, this I feel like will have a much longer term impact on, I mean, there's never been a time where we've been completely out of work where all the clubs are shut down. Everything is, you know, how are they going to come back from this? Leases are so expensive. I mean, is this going to be one of those things where bars look at the situation and go, okay, well, for the foreseeable future, I can make no income and have to pay this exorbitant downtown city rent. Is it worth me reopening? They could just go no stuff it. And then all these people will be out of work. Um, on the positive tip, I feel like this is the maternity leave that I never was offered and that I never got as a self-employed person. Um, we're not taken care of in that way. We don't have benefits. We don't have, you know, paid EI, nothing like that. So I'm really, really pleasantly surprised to see the Canadian government step up and say, okay, we're going to take care of all of you who are now essentially cut off from any form of income. So now we're eligible for the CERB, which is two grand. We're eligible for the BC Emergency Workers Fund, which is a one-off payment of $1,000. And we're eligible for $500 in rental subsidy. We're not going anywhere. We have nowhere to spend any money on anything. Um, most providers of, you know, car loans and things like that are willing to work with you and defer your payments without penalty for a little while. I think that's amazing. I mean, we're getting enough to get by on for sure. I mean, we can't live lavish. But no I mean, Sheraton. Nobody <laughs> else is living lavish right now. I feel for sort of for the first time that we're included uh, in the safety net, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it only took a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm honest, like as terrible as it is for people who actually came down with the virus, it's been really, really wonderful for me to have this family time. I'm really enjoying the isolation a lot and I'm enjoying that I actually get to have some hours of sleep like a normal person. It makes me feel like my brain is not a pile of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I can string a sentence together now or several even. Okay. Well, on a closing note, the pandemic's the best thing to ever happen to Sasha. (laughs) (laughs) In other controversial news. on everything to make sure it keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just coughing everywhere. (laughs) Look, I can't wait to put my heels back on and you do feel nice when you get to do your hair and makeup. So I am looking Mm -hmm. forward to... I'm looking forward to getting on stage again, but for now I'm definitely seeing the positive. Yeah. Make the most of it. Do you think, 
Do you think the clubs will be like a lot slower or do you think the regulars won't be there? Like, what do you think when we work back at the clubs, what do you think that will look like? It's going to go one of two ways. It's going to go, no one's been making any money. So no one has any money to spend. So it's going to be a really slow start. Or people are going to be like, right, I'm saving every penny of that employment benefit that I'm getting. And when time comes around, I'm going to go have me some fun. And I think that a lot of people will be really, really, really excited to reconnect with people. Like, I'm lucky. I've, I've got two amazing people that I'm with at the moment. A lot of people are not doing well mentally, emotionally. They're isolated. They have no connection with people. And a lot of the people that come into the clubs where we work, they come in for that, that emotional, mental, physical connection. They, they just want to be around people who are going to treat them nicely, who are going to have a conversation with them, who are going to, you know, have a drink with them, have a chat. You know, a lot of people don't get that in their normal life. So I think that those people will be fiending for the club to reopen. So I think you'll have a lot of happy campers when it finally does happen. Yay. I hope so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I hope so too. <laughs> Me too. You know there's going to be those like five guys that just want to touch some titties. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. check for titties, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right, before we go, Sasha, this has been so great. Uh, where can people find you? If on Instagram or Oh, I've been so lame with social media lately. Like I never check my Facebook. I don't do Twitter, but occasionally I am on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Foxy Monoxide. That's F-O-X-I-M-O-N-O-X-I-D-E. Foxy Monoxide. And yeah, then I occasionally post, you know, sexy pictures, but also like pictures from my life and stuff too. So connect with me on there I'd, I'd love to I'd love to meet some more people for sure awesome Riley where can people find you <laughs> yeah you can find me at Van City Riley on Instagram and that's it that's all I have <laughs> and that's all as always <laughs> you can find me on five zero plus a tip on Instagram or email me at five zero plus a tip at gmail.com slide into my DMs email me carrier pigeon with any comments questions love getting them thank you so much for joining us sasha it's been amazing oh i'm honored thanks for having me oh can i say the thing now (laughs) (laughs) have a wonderful week and happy hoeing bye bye bye